For our scripture reading this morning, we will read from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 46 to 55. We are reading from the new Revised Standard Version updated edition. Here is the word of the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowly state of his servant. Surely, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Indeed, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the imagination of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has come to the aid of his child Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Praise and glory be to God. To begin with, I'd like to show you a slide of Mary and Elizabeth. Um, do you have the other slide? The one with this one, yes, let's begin with this one because this is the scripture we just heard read. And if you look, it's the whole story of Mary. It's almost as she's foreseen what is to come. Although as a young girl, that was probably something that didn't happen. But if you look to the corner, you see her talking with Elizabeth, her cousin. And we used this slide yesterday for our 11 a.m. Saturday special class. Um, Meg Miatani coordinates that class, and we talked about Mary and Elizabeth, and that is what I will be preaching on today. Mary, the Magnificat, her song, her praise in the scripture you just heard from Yoko Sawada. Let us pray. May our souls magnify the Lord and all of our spirits rejoice in God, our Savior. For God has looked with favor upon all of us and all generations will call us blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for us all. And holy, holy is God's name. Amen. Well, when I was a pastor at West Tokyo Union Church, we did a Christmas pageant every year with the Sunday school teacher, uh, excuse me, the Sunday school children, and the Sunday school teachers would help coordinate the pageant. The kids would dress up, and we had, um, of course, Mary and Joseph, the wise men. Sometimes we didn't have enough wise men, so we'd have wise girls instead, wise boys and wise girls, it depended on the year. And the little ones, the one to three-year-olds, would be sheep. And some of them would be angels, too. It was very cute. 
And so one year we had um, one of the children playing the angel Gabriel. And so he came up to, Gabe, to Mary, who was pretending to be sweeping in front of her home. And he said to her these words, Greeting, favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your broom. Now he said broom instead of womb. But actually the lines were a little bit mixed up. The congregation did burst out laughing. But it was a twist on the actual visitation by Angel Gabriel to share the good news with Mary. Actually the word blessed is the fruit of your womb is from Luke 1, 42. And it's when Elizabeth um, said to Mary, you know, after their greeting, and the babies jumped in the womb. They're both of them were pregnant at the time, and of course, she, their babies were excited to see each other. And she cried out, Most blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Anyway, the scripture passage we read today is called the Magnificat. The Magnificat is Latin for magnify. You know what a magnifying glass is. And this is because she magnifies the Lord. It's actually a song sung by Mary. And perhaps we can say it's the first Christmas song ever composed. Or, since we're in the season of Advent, you could say it's the first Advent hymn ever composed, or the oldest Advent hymn ever written down. And perhaps the most revolutionary Advent hymn ever sung. Her song tells us about who she is and who God is, and also tells us who we are called to be. Now, we often think of Mary as a gentle, submissive figure, but these words of hers show her strength and also her faith. And from these words, we hear her courage. She's a partner with God in a revolution. She's turning around the status quo. Mary now is lowly in status, but God has signaled her out as the mother of Christ. She knows there's consequences to saying yes to the will of God. But her answer is, let it be according to your will. Now we may need to listen to this message, to her words for ourselves. Let it be according to your will. Not easy words to say. But we may need to humbly obey the will of God, even if it's a challenge, even if there's risks involved, but we can humbly say to the Lord, let it be according to your will. Episcopal priest, Reverend Barbara Brown Taylor, um, she's one of my favorite authors, and I had the privilege of meeting her in Atlanta, Georgia, some years ago. She said this about today's passage. My soul magnifies the Lord. Mary sings right there in Elizabeth's living room, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Elizabeth and Zechariah are the first to hear her song. But it's not just for them, it's also for her, Mary, and for the Mighty One, who has done great things for her. It is for Gabriel, who first gave her the good news, and for all who will benefit from it. For the proud and powerful, 
who will be relieved of their swelled heads. For the hungry, who will be filled with good things. For the rich, who will be sent away empty, so that they have room in them for more than money can buy. Her song is for Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, for Sarah, Rebecca, Leah, and Rachel, for every son and daughter of Israel who thought God had forgotten the promise to be with them forever, to love them forever, to give them fresh and endless life. It was all happening inside of Mary, and she was so sure of it that she was singing about it ahead of time, not in the future tense, but in the past, as if the promise had already come true. Prophets almost never get their verb tenses straight because part of their gift is being able to see the world as God sees it, not divided into things that are already over and things that have not happened yet, but as an eternity unfolding mystery that surprises everyone, maybe even God. Mary was most likely surprised by her pregnancy and maybe scared. So perhaps was her elderly cousin Elizabeth. Both these pregnancies were miracles from God. Mary's pregnancy was special as God was dwelling within her womb. When Mary visited Elizabeth, something special happened. And as I said, when Elizabeth had heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was, spilled, was filled with the Holy Spirit. Mary's words are a spontaneous response upon being pronounced as blessed by, her Elizabeth, by Elizabeth. Elizabeth was the expectant mother of John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the person whose role in life was to prepare people for Jesus. Mary's words are also God-inspired. She perhaps was alluding to Hannah's prayer, which you can find in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. The similarity between the stories of the two women are reflected in the words of these two songs. They were both blessed by God. Well, let's talk about being blessed. There's many ways we feel blessed. We talked about this yesterday in, on our Zoom Saturday special class. You can also find on the media hashtag blessed, feeling blessed. People have secularized the word. But blessed, being blessed, is something from God. People may say we're blessed by good health, we're blessed by a new home, blessed by a new car, blessed by the birth of a child, blessed by good friends, and these truly are blessings. But let's think about Mary's blessing. She's said to be blessed, and Elizabeth tells her so. But by our standards, she does not look at all blessed. She's a poor peasant girl who's unmarried and pregnant. If people found out she was unmarried and pregnant, by Jewish law, she could be stoned. But in her song, Mary rejoices that she has the privilege of giving birth to the promised Messiah. And Mary is overwhelmed by the goodness of God choosing her. She said, God's mercy is for those who fear him. Now fear means awe, respect, honor, submission, obedience to God. 
This is the meaning of fear. It's... But her words then become quite more radical. Mary praises God for overturning society's structures by bringing down the powerful and lifting up the powerless. Listen again to her words. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Did you hear these words? These are pretty powerful words. And her song is good news to those who are poor and oppressed and who have oftentimes identified, identified with this song. And these are the longest set of words spoken by a woman in the New Testament. Her words have helped me to understand the true magnificence of how God loves us, but also cares about our political, economic, and social realities. We can help God in big and small ways. In yesterday's class, we talked about doing random acts of kindness, particularly during the season, and finding ways to show the love of God. And you can also look for bigger ways, perhaps by changing the society, by making it a better place for all of us to live. My husband and I were missionaries at the National Christian Council of Japan, and we were part of working for Christian-related social issues, such as human rights, peace, um, also helping people who are suffering from natural disasters. Um, we worked with Koreans in Japan, the Buraku community in Japan, groups who are discriminated against. And we're doing this as witnesses for Christ along with other churches. There were 33 member organizations and church denominations that made up the National Christian Council of Japan. And the work was primarily to improve society and our world. And God sees us able to do amazing things like topple injustice, if, but only if we are partnering with God. On this third Sunday of Advent, as we wait for Christmas, we are living in the reality, and I'd like to share with you some examples of Christians who sought justice and who did work together for a better society. Now, of course, many of you know Reverend Toyohiko Kagawa. We have the Kagawa Center in Sanomia. Um, some of us have volunteered there. And I've preached about Toyohiko Kagawa many times here in this church. You know that he was born in 1888. He lived in the slums at the age of 21. Actually, on Christmas Eve, he moved to the slums in Kobe. He was at seminary at the time, and he felt he didn't just want to listen to doctrine, but he wanted to really do Christianity. So he took the parable of the Good Samaritan to heart and moved into the slums. And that's where he worked for the poor, for children's rights, rights of women, workers, farmers. And he also planted churches and medical clinics for the poor. If you don't know about Reverend Toyuko Kagawa, you can Google him and you'll find uh, plenty of information. He also was quite prolific in writing. He's written more than a hundred books, many of which have been translated. Or you can go to the Kagawa Center, Kagawa Kinenkan, and see the Kagawa Museum. 
I'd also like to mention Oscar Romero, who was a priest and an archbishop in El Salvador. And he was someone who spoke against social injustice and violence that was happening during the Salvadorian Civil War. Now, in his homilies, he denounced the government for the various ways it oppressed, they were oppressing the poor of the Salvadorian society. And for doing this, and for working among the poor, he was martyred. He was martyred while he was giving mass at a church. Now, I recall reading some of his writings in seminary, and he drew a comparison between Mary and the poor and the powerless people in his own community. By 1992, the Salvadoran Civil War had ended, but the total number of Salvadorians killed was over 75,000. There is a movie about Oscar Romero. It's called Romero. I saw it a long time ago. It's a 1989 movie. But if you would like to know more about him, I suggest you watch it. It's very inspiring. And he left a lasting legacy. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Some of you are familiar with Bonhoeffer. He was a 39-year-old German Lutheran pastor and theologian. He lived his theology. He was actively working against Hitler and the Third Reich. He risked his life by embodying what he believed. His books that I read in seminary um, were called The Cost of Discipleship. So there's a cost to being a disciple. And let me share one of his quotes. This is from his book, Life Together, The Classic Exploration of Christian Community. The exclusion of the weak and insignificant, the seemingly useless people from everyday Christian life in community may actually mean the ex exclusion of Christ for in the poor sister or brother. Christ is knocking at the door. Bonhoeffer was unfortunately hanged just a few days before the prison camp he was in was liberated. But his words live on, his legacy live on. And he called the Magnificat, what the words of Mary that we read today, the most passionate, wildest, one might even say the most revolutionary hymn ever sung. In India, during British rule of, in, um, at that time, the Magnificat was prohibited from being sung in church. In the 1980s, Guatemala's government banned the Magnificat after they discovered Mary's words were just too dangerous. In Argentina, the mothers of the Plaza de Mayo, whose children and grandchildren had been disappearing during the war that was happening at the time, although they were gathering peacefully and walking around the plaza in the capital, they would often take posters and put the words of the Magnificat on those posters and walk quietly around the plaza in protest. So they were using Mary's song as a public display of what they believe should happen in society. Well, who are the Marys of today? Well, I see them among our society. I see them with the, the youth who are actively working for climate change. Just this past December 9th, the United Nations Climate Change Conference ended. It was held this year in Egypt. 
And as the, it's called the COP27 ended, I found myself moved by the words of the young adults and the youth who were speakers. And they somehow, when I was preparing for this sermon, reminded me of the revolutionary language of Mary. Some of the speakers at the end were um, these women, young women. Helena, a Quechua woman, she was from Ecuadorian Amazon, and she was a defender of land rights. And she said these words, I envision a world where the children, your children, our children, do not have to fight for the future of humanity. And she said this to a whole group of world leaders. And she was imagining a world where there wouldn't be oil spills and typhoons and fires and disasters or death. And a world where the powerful no longer dictated the material well-being of children. An Ugandan activist also spoke. Her name was Vanessa Nagate, I think. I don't know how to say her last name. But she was calling out the rulers for the um, practices that they had of exploiting the most vulnerable in their communities. Another woman who spoke was a woman from, well, like, not really a woman, she was only a 10-year-old girl from Ghana, Nakithyat Dramani. I don't know if I said her name correctly. But she, in her speech, spoke about a reversal, suggesting to the delegates there that the youth should maybe be in charge of the global climate proceedings. And she was advocating that the rich and powerful were required to provide material aid to those who are suffering. And so when I hear from young people like this, these young activists, and from others, they are using their words, and so when they do use the words, we, as people, people of faith, we can actively listen. And I hear in their words echoes of Mary's song. Is God speaking about the powerless and the powerful changing places? Well, or perhaps is God speaking of social leveling? The rich and powerful are taught to love their neighbors as they love themselves, give up oppressing others to share their resources and humble themselves before the Lord. Every person is treated with dignity and respect and no one uses power to harm. As someone who's trying to take the Bible seriously, which I feel all of us are doing, I know that loving my neighbor is the way that I can show God in our world. Now the Magnificent may not relate to all of us here at KUC, but Mary and her song are good news for many people. Let's make Mary's song our song. Can we live and believe that God can turn the world around? Can we partner with God we have people in our own community who are poor or who are lonely or may feel that they are on the periphery of society, but God is faithful. God looks at the lowliest among us, but sees us as capable. Like Mary, God requires humility and trust. Like Mary, God lifts up those with no status. 
like Mary, we can be obedient to God's promises. There are people here, and of course people worldwide, who are exploited and vulnerable and seeking justice. How can we reach out? How can we, how can we sing Mary's song? Like Mary, we must have courage and confidence in our faith. God sees us as able to do amazing things, like topple injustice, if we partner with God. So may we take Mary's words to heart, sing them out, and by doing so, let's make a better world. Amen. <laughs>